the Purgatorio, Cantos 28 to 33. Canto 28. Dante, a son of Adam, has returned to the earthly garden of earthly innocence. He describes his surroundings as the sacred and ancient wood, a place of great beauty. It reminds him of the pine wood near to Ravenna, in which he loved to stroll. And no doubt we as readers are invited to invoke in our own minds our own earthly paradise, perhaps a carpet of bluebells and daffodils and oak wood amidst the streams, rivers, lakes and hills of our own land. It is the place where all is orient and immortal, for it has stood from everlasting to everlasting. See Traherne centuries, third centuries, number three. In my end is my beginning, said Mary, Queen of Scots, on the scaffold. We can only return to whence we came, and then stand before the living God and bow our heads in judgment. The dark wood of the first canto of the Inferno, at the very beginning of our journey, where the true way was lost and the path overgrown with briars, was no more than the parody of the ancient forest we all should know. One grows figuratively in the northern hemisphere, where the intellect is frozen and unwarmed by the spirit, the other is to be found in the southern hemisphere, in the light of the sun. We may think of similar use of this symbolism and imagery in certain paintings of Caspar David Friedrich, the German Romantic painter. For example, the Arctic shipwreck in the Kunsthalle in Hamburg. The dark wood is the condition of the fallen intellect bound by the passions and outer relationship with the creation. It is a mind, a state of mind and soul where life as sacrament is lost. All is seen and observed through the ego's hardness which objectifies all things and which claims them as its own. The sacred and ancient wood is the same wood seen aright. All is sacrament, all is beauty, all is relationship, loving care and the knowledge that leads to union with the beloved. It is a matter of seeing the world aright, acknowledging that the world is a mirror of infinite beauty, a temple of majesty, a region of light and peace, the paradise of God. It is more to man since he is fallen than it was before. It is the place of angels and the gate of heaven. When Jacob walked out of his dream and said, God is here and I wist it not. How dreadful is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the, the gate of heaven. That's Traherne's centuries yet again, the first um, 
Meditation 31. At last we are at the beginning of our real journey. We have become as a child before the Lord. Such natural innocence is not an end in itself, but rather our true starting place. We have been called to become partakers of God and to share in the Shekinah, known to the Lord's chosen people, who he called out of Egypt's bondage, the transfiguring light of his presence. And such is a journey without end, as infinite as the Lord God himself is infinite. Dorothy Sayers is surely right when she wrote that it is dangerous to interpret Dante's understanding of Eden as the perfect empire, that is, the Holy Roman Empire, at peace with itself. Here is no vain utopian vision. Dante was too much of a realist for that, though he would no doubt turn to us, and with William Law insist that the purpose of right education is to lead us back to exactly where he now finds himself. Furthermore, he would add, that it should be the ideal to which our active life in the world should always aspire. Dante's ideal of the empire can only exist in the mind as a reflection of the heavenly city. It is for us to aspire to that ideal. The concept of utopia can be but idolatry. And the word rightly means no place. Utopians are bound to failure and ultimately ridicule. The next heading is Matelda. The poet comes across a stream. It is the Lethe. The birds sing, a gentle breeze moves the leaves, grass and flowers. He sees on the farther bank a solitary woman singing as she gathers flowers resplendent in the light of the sun. Gathering flowers, of course, is a platonic image of higher consciousness. For the geometry of flowers, according to the platonic tradition, reflect the heavenly truths which lie behind the geometric forms. And furthermore, when Dante says resplendent in the light of the sun, S-U-N. The sun is an emblem of love, a symbol of love. She is the keeper of the earthly paradise. Dante requests her to come closer so that he may distinguish the words of her song. Her presence recalls the myth of Prosperine. We might add that she is also like Flora, carrying her flowers. She appears as the fullness of the spring's fertility. She is far more, for true wisdom alone is eternal spring. Her song has been Psalm 92, and the whole psalm should be read and meditated upon at this point for the words confirm and amplify Dante's text. Particularly important are the first five verses. 
It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises unto his name, O Most Highest, to tell of thy loving kindness early in the morning, and of thy truth in the night season. Upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the lute, upon a loud instrument, and upon the harp. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy works, and I will rejoice in giving praise for the operations of thy hands. O Lord, how glorious are thy works! Thy thoughts are very deep. No wonder the lady, whose name we shall learn is Matilda, says that the psalm gives the mind light, dispelling clouds from the intellect. This beautiful woman is an aspect of the mystery of Beatrice. She is not the lady philosophy with her ladder of ascent, as imagined by Boethius, and which had so much influence over Dante when he was writing the Convivio. Matilda's arms are full of flowers and she sings a song of divine wisdom. She is the wisdom to be known in nature and the whole of the creation. She is the wisdom that perfects the intellect through the acknowledgement of the world as sacrament. She is also the right emphasis on the active life and fulfills Dante's earlier dream of Lear. That's um, Canto 28, um, verse 8. It is necessary for us, 20, can, sorry, Canto 27, verse 8. She is also the right emphasis on the active life and fulfills the dream of Lear. It is necessary for us to move and breathe in the Lord God's garden, the glory of the world that is all about us. Matilda is the true image, the visual embodiment of joy in this world. This is why Dante says that the lady Matilda is in love. Um, 28 lines 43 to 5. She is the embodiment of courtesy and care for others. Matilde is also humanity in its pristine condition before the floor, fall, a state of rectitude, loving God and his wisdom above all else, and referring our love of people and all things to God himself. Thomas Aquinas described this state of consciousness as original justice, for love naturally flows to and from the soul. To know the Lord in the mirror of his creation is an act of contemplation and action. The text of Genesis uses the image of a gardener caring and loving the natural world, ensuring that it is fertile, True gardener loves his work, and his work is an act of intellect as well as an act of the will. Matilda's consciousness is that of the myth of the golden age, and yet more. Her last words in the canto are, 
Qui fu innocente l'umana radice, qui primavera sempre e ogni frutto, nettare è questo di che ciascun dice. Here the root of mankind was innocent. Here is always spring and every fruit. This is the nectar, nectar of which each speaks. Matelda is what we should have been if sin had not entered our hearts. No wonder Dante falls desperately in love with her and would, quotation marks, possess her. But a stream of approximately three steps, indicating that he lacks still the fullness of faith, hope and love, separates him from the eternal spring of such wisdom. He must first meet Beatrice, after which Matilda will assume another role. And yet Dante still has not known Eden proper. He has to encounter and meet his beloved Beatrice. Dante would appear here to concur with St. Augustine's thought that we do not in this life regain the fullness of Eden as Adam of old knew it. Here we experience the nostalgia of a place once known and sometimes know it in moments of grace. Augustine wrote, In what manner, therefore, are we said to be renewed if we do not regain what the first man lost in whom we all die? Clearly, we do regain what he lost in one sense, but we do not regain it, what he lost in another sense. Perhaps Dante's thought is hidden in those wonderful words of Cardinal Newman, which we all know and love. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love, that flesh and blood which did in Adam fail should strive afresh against their foe and to the rescue came. And that a higher gift than grace should flesh and blood refine God's presence and his very self and essence all divine. The next heading is Lise and Eunoe. The Lady Matilda explains the nature of the stream separating her from the poet. The stream is not fed by rain but supernaturally from the single but twin fountains of Lithe and Eunoe. Lithe we met originally as we climbed out of hell. We had to follow it with Dante and Virgil so as to be led to the mountain with its cornices. Those who drink of its waters forget. It is the river of oblivion. 
In classical myth, the souls coming into this world drink the waters of Lethe and thereby forget their divine origin. And perhaps this is what Dante is saying about the souls in hell. They have forgotten the image in which they were made. However, by following the stream's flow and retracing it to the Isle of Purgatory, Dante is gradually regaining a right memory of matters eternal. Now, in the garden of earthly innocence, he will have to bathe in the waters of Lethe in order to forget all the confusion, horrors, errings, failings and sins of his past life. He will then bathe and drink the waters of Unoe in order to remember all the good that he has ever known, but with all the evil and wrong forgotten. But before this may happen, he must be totally convinced of his sin and unworthiness. Beatrice will be his judge. The following cantos are part of the process of Dante's sorrow for sin, begun in earnest as he climbed the three steps of St. Peter's Gate in Purgatory. This is emphasised for the reader by Matilda, changing her song to Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose unrighteousness is, in, is forgiven and whose sin is forgiven. The whole of this magnificent psalm should be read in order to capture the mood which the poet wishes his reader to appreciate. Dante is being called to acknowledge his sin in its fullness. Um, see the beginning of Canto um, 29. The next heading is Canto 29, to Cantos 31. Whilst in the ancient wood, Dante is shown, shown two pageants or masks. Such were a custom of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance for representing theological or philosophical teachings under the form of allegory. Great care went into the making and artists and craftsmen of great repute would be involved with their making. A chariot or carriage with a centrepiece for figures, the whole suitably decorated with banners and symbols was uh, constructed and then accompanied through the streets by people dressed as allegorical figures. People, the, the populace in other words, would then speculate as to the procession's meaning. It was a form of visual education, a feature of life far more appealing and certainly more meaningful than the advertising which today disfigures our towns and cities. In both of Dante's masks, the image of the chariot plays a fundamental role. The chariot in the Judaic Christian tradition is a symbol of vision. Elijah, for example, ascended into the heavens in a chariot, 
See the second book of Kings, chapter 2, verse 11. Ezekiel beheld the Lord God in an amazing chariot. See the book of Ezekiel, the first chapter. Dante's beholding of a chariot therefore implies that he is being instructed in a visionary, intuitive, symbolic sense. The symbolism of the two masks is profound, and they have been the subject of much discussion over the years as to their precise meaning. Academics have tended to overlook the fact that symbols work on many levels, and that iconography at its best depends on what our own level of consciousness may be or may not be. Indeed, these two episodes have much allegory that may be puzzled out and speculated upon, but the nature of the underlying symbolism is deeper in meaning than mere allegory. Such imagery is evocative and beyond the level of approach that merely sees the images as representing this or that interpretation in the narrow sense. Therefore, what we read in these last great cantos of purgatory is truly polysemnius, like many, many, many seeds in Dante's sense of the word. The scenes are full of seeds for the imagination, just as the poet intended his great work to be as a whole. And the reader should never overlook the fact that Dante is witnessing an educational mask prepared for his enlightenment. Statius and other souls would have seen or see altogether a different display relating to their own life and their own level of consciousness and their own need for intellectual clarification. There are two main academic approaches to the significance of the masks, one traditional and religious and the other political. But knowing Dante's twist of mind, the two need not be opposed, providing one's interpretation sets out first from the spiritual and the metaphysical, and then radiates down, as it were, to the political. Our world and human society, according to the Judaic Christian tradition, is to be understood through revelation. Also, the chosen people of God were understood to be recipients, as well as a vessel for the living tradition to be handed on from generation to generation. In this sense, society and its political worlds are responsible as custodians of the mystery of Emmanuel, that is, God with us. A nation may only too easily permit the life to die within its people. And to speak of the death of God, of course, is an impossibility, a nonsense. God may not die, 
except through the deep mystery of the life-giving cross. For God is, his name is, I am. However, his presence may desert us and leave us to our own devices through our own negligence. Therefore, in Dante's understanding, the political world should be as a custodian of the true, the good and the beautiful. And when it fails so to do, then a death within an, an individual, a family, a society, a nation occurs. The vision that once gave vitality is lost, and the people from a spiritual point of view perish. Dante, like a prophet of old, understands his work as exposing the spiritual and the secular failure of both church and state, whilst, whilst at the same time holding on to the belief in the essence of the church as a spiritual bride whose duty is to expose corruption. Perhaps, though we have no evidence, Dante came to see the exoteric church as Peter's, that is in quotation marks, and the inner spiritual mystical church as John's, that is again in quotation marks. In other words, he may have intuitively longed for the return of the early church's spirituality, that is, the right understanding of the nature of the Holy Spirit. And to reduce the masks to mere political implications is therefore wrong. Our interpretation will be essentially religious and secondly, briefly, political. The first mask. If we exclude for a moment Petrus, who will appear in the chariot pulled by the griffin, and consider all the allegorical figures processing in front and by the sides and at the rear of the chariot, then surely the mask's essential meaning unfolds itself to us. Dante is seeing a literal enactment through, mar through mask of the moving through time and space of the mystery of Holy Scripture. Holy, hidden, of course, within Holy Scripture is the mystery of Emmanuel, God with us, his holy people, the Church. And this hidden kernel is represented by the griffin and the chariot. During our four score years and ten, Holy Scripture will have been brought at some time to our attention and with luck we shall hear the Kerygma that is the good news and if we respond to its call we shall learn over time the Didache that is the teaching strictly within the context of the two masks the first represents history up to the Incarnation, and the second portrays the story of the Church 
and to dent his own time. However, Beatrice's descent to the chariot would also suggest the most important interpretation that we are seeing in the first mask is the challenge of the gospel, the true nature of wisdom, the spiritual reality of the church as custodian of the Holy Spirit throughout all time. Amidst the books of the Holy Bible, represented by the procession of the allegorical figures, are concealed the mystery of the triumphal chariot, the enigmatic significance of the griffin. If the reader is to enter the movement of all the iconography flowing before us, he or she will have to sit back and permit the imagery to sink deeply into the mind and consciousness. And this is why Dante invokes the muses, especially Urania, the righteous muse of astronomy of the heavens. Our Father who art in heaven. And Dante is here thinking of the cosmology of the heavens according to the Ptolemaic system, which would be the structure of the Paradiso, the third great cantica. First, we are presented with the procession of seven golden trees, the candlesticks of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, amidst which the Lord, uh, the Lord appeared to St. John. These, from the outset, suggest the temple and its symbolism, in particular the seven-branched candelabria, the menorah, known as the tree of life in Jewish, Jewish mysticism. In Ju Judaic mystical thought, the sevenfold spirit of God, see um, Isaiah uh, 11, verses 2 and 3, and Revelation 3, verse 1, is symbolized by lights, known as the Sephirot and are intimately linked to the Menorah, the tree of life. The significance of the Menorah and the tree of life and the possible influence of Jewish mystical thought over Dante will be discussed when we reach the Paradiso. The Christian tradition speaks of the Spirit's sevenfold gifts wisdom understanding counsel strength knowledge fear or awe righteousness or piety the roots of all the gifts is love the one and self-same spirit or energies There are two very splendid hymns written on the theme of Come Holy Spirit. There's Cousin's um, hymn in the English hymnal, the old version that is, 153, and likewise the Stryton's version of the same hymn 
in the old version of the English hymnal 156. Also, we should look at the Convivio, um, chapter 21, um, but lines uh, 108 to 112. The candlesticks also relate to the altar, the holy table, and the Eucharistic sacrifice. And so as to emphasize this association of ideas, Hosanna is sung. Dante is evoking to his reader sacred moments of the Holy Mass. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Glory be to thee, O Lord most high. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Image upon image builds up a deep symbolic amalgam of ideas. The flames of the lighted candlesticks, that is the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, are like flowing paint on the tip of paintbrushes, leaving streamers of light behind them to form a protective canopy over the whole procession. This indicates the church is the vessel of and is protected by the Holy Spirit. Dante's imagery now develops naturally to the rainbow and its seven colours, suggesting all the symbolism associated with these colours. We're also encouraged to remember the ark, that is the remnant of the spiritual church, uncontaminated by the waters, which are understood traditionally as material, materialism flooding the world. The chariot or ark is haloed, as it were, by the rainbow, the symbol of God's covenant after the flood. The coloured streamers of light colour are ten paces apart, suggesting the other great covenant, that of Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments. The gifts of the Spirit that is, the light streaming from the menorah, fulfill the law, for their root, as said before, is love. See Romans 13, lines 8 to 10, verses 8 to 10. Twenty-four elders clad in white, resplendent with the light of the transfiguration, accompany the chariot and its mysterious beasts. These venerable elders, crowned with lilies, lily, of course, is a rich symbol of associations, from, of ideas from the purity of faith, the lilies of the field, and Israel itself represent the books of the Tanakh or Old Testament. They sing of the Mother of God who will incarnate the Messiah. Blessed art thou among the daughters of Adam, blessed forever be thy beauties. Again, the reader may make references to the Eucharist, 
Dante would appear to be stressing that the whole flow of Holy Scripture is caught up into the mystery of sacrifice, the one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Next, Dante beholds the four living creatures of Ezekiel's visions. See Ezekiel 1 and 10, verses 4 to 14, and also the book of Revelation 4, verses 6 to 8. They represent the divine energies filling the whole of time and space. Also the four Gospels that likewise, through their message of fulfilment, through the Incarnation, Passion and Resurrection, fill the whole of time and space. They guard the four corners of the chariot. These energies are present, of course, at the Holy Liturgy. This is why we approach the Eucharistic mystery in fear and trembling, and pray that we who receive the body and blood are not seared, consumed like the moth, which becomes but dust in the heat of a candle's flame. Note, the chariot has two wheels. That is, the mystery of God's chosen people, his ancient people, the Jews, and the church of the new covenant is pulled onwards through time and space by the mystery of the incarnate Messiah, here symbolized by the griffin. Why has Dante chosen this curious, fearsome medieval monster, part eagle, part lion, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour? I think it is because, on one level, he is being faithful to the imagery of a traditional mask of his time. That is, no individual person would have been allotted the role of Christ for fear of blasphemy. Furthermore, this also helps to explain why Beatrice will appear in the chariot, instead of Christ himself or the Blessed Sacrament for such would have been totally contrary to the spirit of a mask and considered extremely bad taste. Far more important, through his imagery, Dante wishes to convey to his reader at a deep level how the mystery of the Incarnation has been with us since the beginning, as set out in those inspired words which preface St John's Gospel. He walked with our ancestors in the garden. He called Abraham the patriarchs, delivered his people out of bondage, established with them the way, the Torah, and led them to the promised land, sent them teachers and prophets, and so forth. Also, all people and all nations have been given the ideals of the cardinal virtues. Thus the Torah, with its laws, was a schoolmaster to the Hebrews, while the cardinal virtues were, and still are, for all, a preparation for the higher three theological virtues 
of the Christian life. A griffin is part eagle, that is, as it were, divine, and part lion, that is, as it were, human. The, cre the creature represents the hypostatic union of the two natures in Christ. Its colour, we are told, is mingled with whites and reds, colours that Dante associates with the old and the new covenants, respectively. They are the colours of righteousness and of love. The incarnation was prefigured in God's presence with his people in the mystery of the Shekinah. He has become flesh and blood and has established an unshakable bond between himself and his church, that is, the mystery of the mystical body. But even more esoterically for the beholder, they are the colours of the holy sacrament, the bread and the wine, the food by which we become partakers of God. Dante is not satisfied with only emphasising the incarnation with his imagery. Just as in his great as his great poem is written in the Terzo Rima, thereby indicating how the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity flows into the fullness of life, even the writing of a poem, so this fabulous, emblematic creature conveys the Holy Trinity in a most curious and precise way. The wings of the griffin stretch upwards rather than lying side by side to the creature's body. From these rise rays of light that pass on either side of the middle band of the light streamers over the chariot and thus have on either side three bands symbolizing the Holy Trinity. If to either of these groups the middle band be added, the result is four, the symbol of humanity. The numbers so divided equal three plus one plus three, which again suggests the two natures of Christ. The figurative harmony here expressed between one, three, four and seven in terms of number symbolism is mind-blowing as indeed it is meant to be. If the reader is by now totally confused and longs for an illustration he should turn to Botticelli's drawings to the relevant cantos. The imagery is ultimately beyond depiction. Surely all this is too much for the mind to latch on to at one reading. Dante literally means to blow our brains out of their normal level of functioning. There is 
mercifully an underlying mood of the Song of Songs, the dialogue between Christ and his church, the lover and his beloved. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king has brought me into his chambers. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 4. Read on the following verses, for the words become more or less unbearable. And Dante is implying this in his text. Also the colours of the griffin are meant to recall a deep spiritual level to the words my beloved is white and ruddy the chiefest among ten thousand the song of songs chapter five line ten again read on the the following verses once more the words you will find become wounding in their intensity the chariot is described as resembling, yet surpassing in magnificence, those used in war and triumph by the Romans. Dante would have known roughly what a Roman chariot um, would have looked like from the reliefs of Roman sarcophagi that were to be found and are to be found all around Italy. Surely Dante is here calling to mind the unseen warfare of the soul, long before he is thinking of any political symbolism. The chariot is far more splendid than any mythological chariot of the sun, S-U-N. This chariot, the church, so vital to the good estate of society, needs at all times to be tenderly cared for by the pastors of the church. Too easily false souls would use it as Phaeton used the sun chariot of old and crashed it. Besides the chariot's right wheel danced the three theological virtues, whilst the carnal virtues danced besides the left wheel. The dance is led by charity, that is agape, and she is dressed in red, the colour of fire. Hope is emerald green through and through. Faith is dressed in white. The cardinal virtues are dressed in deep purple, purple red, for they naturally partake of agape. Here they are, inf they are infused virtues rather than a acquired virtues. Note that prudence has the third eye of the forehead, for she in particular is associated with wisdom. For example, Proverbs 8 verse 12, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Following the chariot are figures representing the remaining books of the New Testament. Last of all, an ancient man representing the book of Revelation. 
consistent with Dante's imagery, the figures do not wear crowns of lilies, but of red roses. Following the chariot, sorry, um, rem, should, can we just start, can I just cut there and start again, because I made a, a mess. Can you um, yep. be able to, um, um, remember, as this extraordinary vision passes by, that it is canopied by the colours of the rainbow. It is also admittedly inspired, as we have already said, by the visions of Ezekiel and St. John. And Dante would not have it otherwise, for he wishes that what he has to communicate to be in the great tradition revealed to the Church by the Holy Spirit. And briefly, the political interpretation of the mask draws on Dante's Convivio and Monarchia. The griffin is considered as an emblem of the Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire. Its two natures represent the world emperor, that is the eagle, and the people, that is the lion, leading human society, that is the chariot. And the empire appears, the true empire, appears amongst the books of the Bible. At the time of the incarnation, there was under Augustus Caesar's reign, universal peace. And as Peter Armour writes, it is Dante's ideal of the empire of his own day, with the emperor as the temporal leader chosen by God to lead the whole human race to peace, freedom, justice and happiness on earth, which is symbolised by the earthly paradise. There is no doubt that Dante's political ideas underlie much of the Commedia, but they are much less profitable for the soul and we shall not be over-concerned with them here. At last, we come to Beatrice. Nowhere in Canto 29 has the occupant of the chariot been mentioned, for as yet the carriage space is vacant. The reader is left to presuppose that the mask represents the Blessed Sacrament as processed round the streets on the feasts of Corpus Christi or something of the kind, but it's not so. All important, the crucial Canto 30 opens with the seven candlesticks, the menorah that is, pointing upwards to the sky and the North Pole Star, <clears throat> here symbolising the Empyrean, the first heaven. Only sin may metaphorically um, fog and blur the light of this star. The uh, star, incidentally, a footnote here, is all often taken to represent the Lord, our Lord, for it is he that leads us through the darkness of the world, 
from across the seas of this materialistic world to the safe haven. Thus, the penitentiary theme governing purgatory is again re-emphasized. The procession halts, and all the eyes of the symbolic figures look towards the vacant chariot with expectation. Again, we are taken back to the underlying theme of the Song of Songs, and a voice sings thricefold, Veni sponsor de Libano, the Song of Songs, um, chapter 4, verse 4. But again, see the following verses in order to, to catch hold of what Dante is saying. Dante is conveying sequences from the Song of Songs which when read and or known by heart become for the soul almost unbearable with poignancy, like a melody which cuts through the quick. The verses preceding the quoted words are amongst the most erotic of the poem. Quam pulcra est amica mea, quam pulcra est. The lines following Dante's quotation build ecstatic tension upon tension. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my bride, thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes. How much better is thy love than wine, thy lips, O my bride, drop as the honeycomb. A garden shut up is my sister, my bride, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed, thou art a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his precious fruits. And who is the bride? She is Sapientia, Sophia. No longer the wisdom which may be gleaned from philosophy, but the wisdom which fills all things. See um, Proverbs 8, for example, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water, when he established the heavens, I was there. Blessed is the man that heareth me, but he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me love death. Many, many voices of the redeemed likened by Dante to the rising from the tombs at the last judgment and the angelic hierarchies sing Benedictus qui venis, leading us again back to the mass and the moments before the consecration of the elements. Note that Dante uses the second person singular S and not the third person singular est, and thus establishes the rapturous relationship 
of the underlying dialogue of the Song of Songs, I and Thou. Flowers, instead of palms, thinking back to Palm Sunday, are cast about the chariot. Not, note again, it is Benedictus and not Benedicta. Dante is addressing Christ and not Beatrice, and yet it is Beatrice who will appear to him in the chariot. What is being said here? The poet's ecstatic, rapturous love for Beatrice intermingles with his love for Christ, his Saviour. Is this heresy? Turn to St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, in which the evangelist sets out our Lord's teaching concerning the judgment. There may we read from verse 31 to the end an explanation of the question, Who is my neighbour? and the deep meaning of the summary of the law. Our neighbour, even as he or she be hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick or imprisoned, abandoned or unwanted, is our Lord hidden, veiled, awaking recognition. And note that St Matthew sets this devastating discourse just before his passion sequence, making his point all the more profound, wounding our pride and self-sufficiency and self-sufficiency. Perhaps here we should pause a while and for a moment consider an important difference of emphasis between the classical and the Christian worlds. Clearly neither Dante nor ourselves cannot but or ourselves cannot help but respond to the platonic triad of the good, the true and the beautiful. And certainly Beatrice is re revealed as all of these. Good, she has helped enlighten Dante by reviving the good of his intellect. True, she has revealed herself as an epiphany of all good things. Beautiful, she was beautiful in her earthly life, but is now beautiful beyond compare. But Beatrice, who reveals Christ to her lover, reveals also the Christian triad when our Lord said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Beatrice, as a Christian epiphany, sets Dante on the way to Christ. She helps gradually open the deep difference of emphasis between philosopher philosophy and theology and prayer in the orthodox sense of the inability of separating theology from spirituality. Beatrice is also leading Dante ever more into the fullness of life, the life of the mystical body.
Beatrice, who now reveals herself as the mystery of Christ in our neighbour, seems to say, if you had truly known me when I was a young girl, you would have known the fullness of Christ. From knowing me, you should have known him, seen him, and no person comes to the Father except through this mystery, that is Christ's epiphany in our neighbour, and above all, in our beloved. Consider John's Gospel, chapter 14, uh, verse 7. To each one of us, Dante is saying, are given special God-bearers, persons who have helped to set us, set us on our way, who have revealed an aspect of Christ to us. The saints are fundamental to this mystery of God-bearing, and Dante will bring this aspect out, especially in the Paradiso. Our beloved, our own Beatrice, is particular in all the flow of those around us, for they revealed to us over the years the sacramental principle at a deep, almost tangible level. They become truly outward signs for inward grace, because we have loved Beatrice with all our heart, mind and soul, even may be our bodies, they have been vehicles of God's great, great love. The little Florentine girl that Dante loved when he himself was a child led him even after her death because of his memory and devotion to her. She led him to the opening of the Christian mysteries. Uh, just a footnote there, it is a rule of romantic love that Beatrice is always removed from us in order that we grow and mature and then she returns to us on another level, another level of consciousness. Through all the stages, joys and tragedies of life, we will be pruned like a plant or a tree to bear yet more fruit. Our beloved, our friends and loved ones are most precious to us because what the Lord has done for us, in, by and through them, we are shown shafts of light from the kingdom here and now. And maybe here the reader may like to turn to Traherne's prayer in the first of his centuries, um, number 86. This is what Dante is saying at the crucial moment of his Commedia. We can now return to Beatrice and interpret her on the four levels of meaning. The literal. She is Beatrice, the girl he loved. In life we have been given bodies, we are not puffs of smoke. 
Our bodies need feeding, washing, caring for. They grow old, decay, they are mortal. Beatrice was a tangible person, not a dream, an ideal, a fantasy. She was as real as the bread and wine which becomes for us the body and blood of our Lord, changing and transforming us. The moral level. Beatrice is, as previously discussed, the God-bearing person who has invoked in our mind the image of beauty, truth and goodness. The beloved is an epiphany of God, according to our level of consciousness and understanding, one who has, as it were, incarnated, quotation marks for us, the reality of the Lord in the spiritual worlds, and who has set us on our way. Through Beatrice, we begin to see the world aright, resplendent in God's glory. She is our very personal sacramental experience. On the historical level, to love Beatrice truly will lead us to understanding the nature of the Church better, for she will expand our horizons of consciousness. She is, a in a veiled sense, the sacrament, for the Eucharist is a perpetual presentation to God in Christ, of Christ's true body, which is the Church, militant and triumphant. We may not receive communion without loving our neighbour more. To love and to receive is a growing in the mystical body, in and through which all are potential God-bearers. Dante makes this abundantly clear in the Paradiso, where all who come to him are God-bearers. This is the significance of the saints and all righteous persons. Again, you could turn to Traherne's centuries, the first and meditations 52 and 53, where he speaks of the nobility of divine friendship. Is it not a marvellous thing that when the faithful receive communion that all radiate just a small aspect of the mystical body in which they have partaken? And lastly, the mystical level. Beatrice is the way of our soul's union with God. She affirms all that is good and all those things that may become channels of grace. In the context of the Marian mysteries, Beatrice, our neighbour in Christ, is an aspect of that union, which is the Church. As a safeguard here against the fear of profaning a great mystery of faith, it is good to remember the words of the Orthodox liturgy just before the faithful come forwards to receive Holy Communion. The deacon sings, let us give heed. And the priest warns, the holy things unto the holy. But who is holy enough to receive such a mystery? 
No one. What are we to do? Go away? The choir gives the answer. One is holy. One is Lord. Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father. Amen. The faithful then receive the mystery. They have become God-bearers, even Mary-like, receptive, Christ's body and blood within them. We see Christ in each other. This is the Beatrician mystery Dante is speaking of. The real, true, sacramental reality of the Church. And finally, when such thoughts are carried over into our understanding of the sacrament of marriage, then the profane, worldly attitude to our sexuality is revealed for what it is, a travesty, a lie, a vanity, an illusion. Husband and wife must discover, at some level or another, the Beatrician mysteries. Otherwise, their marriage will not grow and mature, and they will never have known what their marriage has been truly about. Olé!